right, good morning. Let's uh, go back to that last slide. Okay, there we go. Um, I'm getting a little excited with that Greek word there, Rob. Uh, good morning. It's great to be here. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad that you're here with us this morning as we start a new series called Acts Church on Mission. And what I wanted to do in this series is kind of pick up with where we left after Easter. You know, at Easter, we left with the stone being rolled away, the empty tomb, what it means to live in the resurrection. And this morning, what I wanted to do with this series is start with this idea of what now? There's a, a Greek word that you see in Scripture, and let's go to that one, Rob, called pothane. And it's a word that's used about 29 to 30 times in the New Testament. Uh, and you see it in a couple of different ways, but one of the more prominent ways is one that we see in John chapter 4, verse 11, where Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And the conversation goes, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? That where word is the word pothane, and it means where, from where, when, and how. And the reason I want to start with that word and that, that idea is because I think that is what a lot of the early followers of Jesus and the disciples were asking after Jesus rose from the grave. Like, what now? We've had this emotional experience with Jesus. We've, we've followed Jesus. We've given up our lives, our comfort, all the things that kind of gave us security. What now? That feeling of, of what's next, or how do I go forward, Jesus, now that you're gone? I, I think that that idea, that word pothane, encapsulates what those individuals were struggling with and wrestling with. And a lot of us, maybe after Easter, are, are feeling that way too, of, of what's next, or how do we feel f moving forward? I thought a lot about Easter over the last few weeks, and that feeling that you get with Easter, uh, of encouragement of the, the sugar rush that my children were still experiencing at 8, 9 p.m. on Sunday. Thank you all for all the candy. But we, we know that Easter feeling, right, of it feels good to be at church. It feels good to be around people who believe what we believe. We're encouraged by it. We're uplifted by it. But friends, Monday morning comes pretty fast, right? We have that, that Sunday high that hits us with that Monday reality very quickly. And we have to start ourselves what next. And so I want to start with where the early followers probably started as well, asking that pothane question of, of what now and, and what next and how do we do this or where do we go or when do we go? And it starts on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now this is an interesting concept that you see developing later on, especially in the book of Luke. Luke was written by a man probably named Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And there are kind of two major themes that you see developing in the books of Luke and Acts. One is the geographical progression of Jesus. So it's, it's the movement of Jesus, the villages, the communities that he's with. But there's this idea of the Spirit revealing itself to people. And you start seeing that introduced in the end of Luke. You're going to see it more as the church grows, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. But you see it kind of starting here where they're, they're 
Jesus is not revealing himself because the Spirit will reveal Jesus to these individuals in just a little bit. In verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. That, that sad emotion is one where I think we can really lean into that, that pothane word that we've already talked about a little bit. That feeling of discouragement, uh, of fear and anxiety that the earliest followers of Jesus likely felt. We've, we've been on this emotional roller coaster with Jesus of, of giving up everything. Then we witness the arrest, the persecution, the beating, the crucifixion, then the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And now they're in this position of, okay, Jesus is gone. What do we do next? Where do we go? And these individuals that Jesus is talking to are, are sad because they're afraid and they don't know what to do next. Then one of them said, then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, said, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Now this is how you know this individual does not recognize Jesus. Is he, he comes at Jesus pretty hard, right? He's like, are you kidding me? You, do, you don't have an idea of what's happened in this community? Like, what planet are you from? And it's this really kind of emotionally charged thing, again, because they're afraid. And they're scared, and they're anxious, and they don't know what's going to happen next. And Jesus said, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You see that, that language of fear, of uncertainty, we had hoped Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and they told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now, what's going to happen next is they're going to progress on this walk to Emmaus. They're going to encourage Jesus to come stay with them. You don't need to be on the road by yourself. Come eat dinner with us. And in verse 30, when he, uh, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. That, that revealing nature of the Holy Spirit is present here in verse 30. When their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were, our, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Now, if you're in Luke chapter 24 right now, you see that after Jesus has this interaction with these individuals on the road to Emmaus, he then has this kind of a similar interaction with his disciples. And he will, in the same kind of vein of the Holy Spirit, reveal himself to the disciples. In verse 45 of chapter 24, then he opened their minds, talking about the disciples, to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is claimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. When he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And this is how Luke chapter 24 ends. But you still have that feeling of, like, okay, what now? Like, where do we go? And maybe you felt that way after Easter of, of what's next? What do we do? 
How, how do I grow in this feeling? How do I capture this, this feeling that I've experienced after Easter? See, a lot of our lives are lived in the valleys, but we want to capture that mountain peak mentality. That feeling that we have on Easter where everything is great, everything feels good, but Monday comes very fast. And we have to learn how to navigate the valleys. That is where we spend a large majority of our lives, not on the mountain peaks, but in the valleys, from Monday through Saturdays. Uh, I grew up uh, obviously going to Uplift, and I've had the honor of, of taking kids forever to Uplift and, and Lipscomb at times. Um, but when I was back in Kentucky, we, we took this group, and it was a great group. And, and normally when you say a great group, you mean there's like, there's a few good kids. Um, but it was, it was a great group. Um, but let's just be honest. Uh, it was a great group. It was a really fun week. Um, but uplift is hard. If you've ever gone to trips like that, you know that it's like, it's a, it's a you know, it's a grind. You're, you're going. And uplift runs from Saturday to Thursday. And in Kentucky, it was about hour drive for us to go from Madisonville to Searcy. And every, I mean, the kids look forward to it. It was a great trip. But Uplift is this kind of Easter, like, emotional roller coaster. Like, if you've ever been, it's, it's like, boom, the second that you get there, it's exciting. There's, like, you know, uh, water balloons. There's all kinds of crazy things to kind of get the kids excited. And then let's go to that next picture, Rob. I mean, then those kids are staying up really late. Um, it's emotionally, theologically charged stuff. Kids are getting baptized left and right. Um, Uplift does this great thing in their fountain where the kids at night, they'll get baptized and, you know, you, you sit on the steps and you sing around them. It is this, like, emotionally charged event. And, like, kids love it and they pour into it. And I, I love Uplift. But as an adult, like, it is exhausting. Like, even now, thinking about it, I am tired. I am physically and mentally tired just thinking about trips like that. But one year at Uplift, I was with a group from Kentucky, and it was just one of those weeks. It was a great group, and they, they just they wore me out. I mean, from just the time we got there, I was just like, who are these kids? Like, and, and honestly, like on th- Tuesday, I was like, I cannot wait to get you guys back to your parents. And on, on Wednesday night, you know, we, we kind of cut the devotional short, and we kind of had one of those like militant, like, this is our exit strategy. You know, like how, like, maybe your dad used to back into parking spots, and you're like, Dad, are you already thinking about leaving this place? Like, that was kind of what we were doing, where it was like, we've got to get out of here. I've got to get you guys home. Um, and, and the Wednesday night devotion, supercharged with that. Like, 7.30, bags out in front of the dorm. Then I want you to eat. Go to the restroom. We're not stopping but once. Like, it was, it was that kind of mentality of, this is our strategy. We're getting out of here. And I look as I'm going over these announcements, and there's this one girl in my group that's crying. And I'm like, I don't think I was too intense with these instructions, but uh, I'm like, I'm ready to go, you know? And, and I look, and I say, hey, what? Like, explain to me what's going on. Like, you, you seem to be very emotional right now. Like, what's going on? And she just goes, I don't ever want to leave Uplift. And I, you know, guarded my heart a little bit, because my instinct was to say, like, well, I do. And I'm ready to go. And, uh, and I just said, what, like, what do you mean you don't ever want to leave Uplift? And she said, I just, I want to feel like this all the time. And what, what hit me in that moment is that we had, we had taught that kid how to live on the mountain, but not how to navigate the valleys. We had taught her how to feel like what it feels like to experience the resurrection, but not what it means to live as a Christian every single day of her life. 
And she wanted to capture that moment and stay there and guard that because it's what she knew and it's what she enjoyed feeling. Now, that kid has never left up. No, she, she, we went home the next day. But it, it really, it hit me. Like, how many of us live like that? We're just, we're looking for those mountain peak moments when really God is trying to teach us to live in the trenches of the, the Monday through Saturday. And I promise you, that is what these early followers of Jesus were doing. Now, I'm going to do something that, that is very uncharacteristic of me when I preach, because normally I stay within one text. I don't like to, to go into the different Gospels. I like to stay within one Gospel. So if we're in Luke, I like to stay in Luke. And so I'm breaking that pattern just right out of the gate for you guys. Because Luke doesn't do what Matthew does. That, that pothane question of, of what now, or like where do we go, or where does this come from, or how do we get there— Luke doesn't really answer that until we get into Acts. But Matthew does. And there's, there's a lot of reasons as to why I think that Luke doesn't include this. I'm not going to bore you with it. I'll do a podcast later. It's just called Nerd Bible, and you can listen to it. It's three hours long. But, but I, I don't want to get into the weeds of that. But just to say that Matthew gives us something that Luke doesn't. And it's really important when we understand what's happening and developing in this passage. Because what happens is, Matthew gives us, in Matthew 28, something that's called, and that maybe a lot of us know, called the Great Commission. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of age. Matthew gives us that pothane question, right? Like Luke, it's Jesus ascends, and the disciples are staying there, and they're, they're doing kind of the things, but that question that maybe we are yearning for of what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Matthew answers that question, and you see a couple of those elements developed. Like, what do we do? We, we go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You know, what else do we do? We baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That pothane question that we are yearning for is answered within the Great Commission. Now, when I, I was at Lipscomb and I was working on my master's degree, I would drive from Madisonville, Kentucky, to Nashville on Thursdays. It was this really cool thing that I did where I would take basically six hours of master's courses. And this particular semester that I'm thinking about, I would take a Greek class from four to seven, and then I would take a New Testament theology class from seven to ten. Fun night in Nashville. And so um, I would do that every single Thursday. It was just a way that I could get through the program faster. It was, it was hard, but it was worth it. And every Thursday, I would drive into Nashville. I would leave Madisonville, you know, around lunch, get into Nashville about two or so. And I would, this is kind of a nerd geographical talk, I would take Woodmont Boulevard, turn on to Belmont, and then when you go down Belmont, there's a, an intersection called Glen Echo. It's a three-way stop, but at Glen Echo, so some of you know, Glen, at Glen Echo, you can see Lipscomb University. And, uh, and so I would always drive down, I would go that way every single Thursday. 
And in this particular semester, what I would do, because I'm super cool, was I would record myself doing my Greek vocabulary, my Greek sentences, my scripture. I would record it, and then I would just play it through the speakers of the system. So if you ever see me driving through town, and it looks like I'm having a good time, I'm like, I'm deep into Hebrew. Like, it's something super fun like that. But I would do it as just like a way to study along the way. And so Mind you, two-hour drive, I'm driving through Nashville, I've got Greek going through the speakers, like I'm having a good time. And at the corner of Belmont and Glen Echo, there was like the same homeless man that would stand there every single day. I've got a picture here, and he would sell the contributor. If you're familiar with Nashville, and I think maybe some other larger cities do this, but the contributor is a homeless newspaper produced by the homeless community in Nashville. Um, they, they sell it, they get the proceeds, they write a lot of the articles. It is, it is an amazing uh, mission, ministry that they have in Nashville. And they use kind of a vendor model, and they've actually found that 70% of the vendors who have vended with the contributor have obtained housing. And, and I, I've thought a lot about that guy, because every Thursday I would see that man, and I would be like, I've got to go study for this test. Like, I'm not saying that I had to give the man money, but I should have been able to give him some humanity. I would do that thing where all of a sudden I have a really important phone call or that like, oh, look, something's over there, like away from you. And I've thought a lot about what it means to live in the, in the Great Commission because I, I don't think that it's always about baptizing. I don't think that it's always about teaching people to obey everything that I've commanded. I think it looks different for each and every one of us. Like, we are all called to live in the Great Commission. And that's the beautiful part of it, is that it's unique to each of us. Your Great Commission ministry may just be being nice and reaching out to people, letting them know that you miss them or that you love them or that you appreciate them. Or maybe your Great uh, Commission ministry may be just serving the local homeless community. It looks different for each of us, but we're all called to live into it. And what I was doing was what a lot of people do, is I just kind of ignored it. I said, this isn't my responsibility. I know you're selling a newspaper. I think it's great that you're doing it, but it's, it's not on me. I'm not going to show you the love that we are called to live into. Now, there's a, a study out by the Barnard Group, and when I use statistics a lot, I'm normally referencing the Barnard Group um, because they, they've done a bunch of great Christian research stuff. Again, I'm a barrel of fun. Uh, we can talk Greek and statistics if you want to all day long. But in the Barna study, what they have found is they've, they've recently done something on the Great Commission. And they found that actually a lot of people don't even know what the Great Commission is. Like if you ask them to recite it, they couldn't do it. Um, and there's a lot of theories as to why that is. But what they have found is we've removed the responsibility of the Great Commission from ourselves. And so they, they kind of connect it to what they call the creation mandate that we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 which says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This, this creation mandate shows Adam and Eve were meant to expand and nurture what God has established in creation. After their fall into sin, the world around them changed, but God's vision had not. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is a reaffirmation of the mandate and blessing of joining God in achieving his original plan for creation. And going back into the creation mentality, or the uh, Great Commission here, Rob, thank you. Citing his authority, Jesus makes no exceptions in this clear parting command now at the core of mission work. 
It is a command for every person in relationship with God. However, most Christians do not believe this to be the case. Christians tend to believe that missions is a calling for some rather than a mandate for all. And when I use that word mandate, a lot of us probably had some knee-jerk reactions to to mask mandates and whatnot. But there's a really important difference in between calling and mandates. Mandates are something that is applied to all of us. But when we apply that word calling, we can remove responsibility and say, hey, that's not on me. I don't feel called to do that. I don't have a responsibility to do. Like, when I think about that, that, that homeless man at Glen Echo in Belmont, I thought that was more of a calling. I didn't feel like I had any responsibility to show that person humanity, to show that person kindness or love or anything related to the Great Commission. But what we see in the Great Commission 28 is that it is a mandate for all. We are all supposed to be living in this. And again, that is the beautiful part about the Great Commission. It looks different for each of us. As we start to look at where God is leading the early church, the thing that we have to see is that all were required to work. All were required to do something to contribute to a church on mission. It only works when people participate. And God is allowing you to find the area of growth, of mission, of work that best suits you. But you have to take that first step and lean into it. And so my my challenge to you this week is to study the Great Commission, to determine where is God leading you? Where is God directing you? When you look at a passage like, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of age. How does that apply to your life? What is your baptizing ministry? What is your outreach ministry of connecting to people? And recognize that this is not a calling, this is a mandate. That this is something that we are all called to do and participate in. But it's up to us to decide what does that look like in our lives.